0: Thank you so much, Naomi, and you may not realize, but Naomi has sacrificed her message this morning so that I can speak for you, but don't worry, she's given me all her notes, so I know what she, this is what Naomi was going to say with you this morning, but I get the chance to share it with you. Uh, so it's great to be here, um, and if you have a Bible, please take it out. Remember what those things were? Uh, or if you use your phone, turn to James chapter 4, and we're going to continue this series in James which um, you're going through for I think a couple of months, and this morning we're in James chapter 4. They're not going to, going to go through consecutively. We're going to like hit around different topics, and this morning we're thinking about the theme of humility. Um, I'm sure everybody who um, comes will, will say this, but I believe that God, uh, or James really has, in James chapter 4, he's really getting to the heart of what he wants to share with these people. I've kind of retitled my message though, The Only Way Up, which is not the Yaz song by the way, okay, oh, I was doing way is up. The only way up is down and hopefully that will make sense to you this morning as we go through this message because when we're talking about humility, we're talking about taking the lowest place. We're talking about lowering ourselves so that not just God will be exalted but Uh, James promises God will exalt us. God will lift us up when we lower ourselves. So that's the heart of where we want to go this morning, the theme of humility. I have a personal relationship with James. I've also got a personal relationship with Kirsten and Jesus, but James is really, really special to me. In this next slide, I just want to say why. I grew up in um, a very loving home in Belfast. I was an only child um, and my extended family, my grandparents, aunts, uncles were all lovely people and helped me and brought me up in in the right way. My grandfather gave me a King James Bible when I was a little boy, which I always treasured, but I never read. And honestly, I didn't have any desire to read it. That's my first confession today. So I kind of grew up in this lovely church um, loving home, kind of went through life, went through a rebellious stage when I was a teenager, questioned everything under the sun. And then when I was 19, when I was 18, actually, my parents moved to another town, town called Little Market Town called Newtonards in Northern Ireland, went to a new church. And that through that church, that's where I really got to know Jesus. And I remember for three consecutive Friday evenings, they invited this guy to come down from Belfast to preach on the Holy Spirit. And I had never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. The church I grew up in actually took all the references to the Holy Spirit out of their hymn book, so they wouldn't even sing songs to the Holy Spirit. So literally, I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. And after those three evenings, uh, and during, God really spoke to me and humbled me, I guess I put it that way. And um, at the end of that third session, I prayed with this guy, and I kind of look back to it now as the time when I was filled with the Spirit for the first time and got to know Jesus. Almost immediately, something changed in my life. I developed an insane hunger for the Bible, um, I, and it just came to me. And I, I, I couldn't wait to read it and study it and I wanted to. So I went out the next day, I think it was the next day, to this bookshop in Belfast and I bought an NIV Bible. They'd only recently come out and so I got my Bible and I thought, ooh, where do I start? So like most guys do when they read the newspaper, they go to the back, okay, and then they kind of go that way. And I, I came to this book called James. Five chapters, only two pages in my Bible that I can do that one. So the next day I went out to the same bookshop, Mr. Douglas, can you, any books on James? He says, yeah, there's some commentary. So we go over and I pick up this little blue commentary, a Tyndale commentary by a man called RVG Tasker, still remember. I was so excited, I had my first commentary, had my Bible, and I went home that night, opened both, and started to study the book of James. And I loved it, and I worked my whole way through the book of James, never, ever, ever thinking in a million years that one day God would actually call me to leave my job. I was working in a bank at the time to go into ministry, never mind preach on the book of James. So I love the book of James. I've, I've lived with it my whole life and my whole ministry. But probably everyone's going to tell you that their passage is the most important passage in the book of James, right? Especially whoever preaches on chapter 2, faith and works. And I used to think chapter 2 was the key of the book of James, but I don't anymore. I think James 4, 1 to 10, is the heart of the message of the book of James, and this is why. Because here's your verse for this week that they've chosen for you, which is on your little card. Submit yourselves... Then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So please use these little cards and please take this verse. And and James would say, don't just listen or read the verse, really think about it and put it into practice. Do it in your life. Like actually resist the evil one, come near to God. So that's your verse for, for this week, which I hope you're going to take and think about and meditate. But this verse focuses on humility. If we could put the next slide up, please. These are some of the themes that you're going to look at in this series. Um, First of all, trials and temptations. Secondly, the Word of God. Is it something we listen to? Or James says, like a mirror, when you see your reflection, do you do something with what you see when you read it? Thirdly, favoritism. Do you favor the wealthy, the rich, the people you think are important, and exclude those who are poor? Fourthly, faith in works. I'm a person who lives by faith, and works aren't important in my life. Really, says James. Show me your faith without works, okay, and I'll show you by how I work, how I live, and vice versa. There are some people in this world who think they can work themselves to God, work themselves to heaven. and faith. Is optional. No, says James. Faith and works go together. Then next, the tongue. This little object in the middle of our in our mouth, we can use it to bless people and encourage people, or curse people and criticize people. Which is it going to be? Next one, wisdom. Is your wisdom coming from heaven or is your wisdom coming up from the earth? Next one, materialism. Okay, do we boast about what we have or are we content? Next, suffering. Is we someone who are going to allow suffering in our life to make us patient people? Or are we going to develop betterness? And finally, prayer. Notice each of these themes. There's options. Okay. James is a book of contrast this way or that way? Which way are you going to go? And I believe that humility is the key to understanding which way to go in life, which of these options James and God would have us choose. And the opposite of humility is pride, and we're going to read it in just a little moment where God says, that James says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So let's just read these verses together before we move into the, and look at them in a little bit of detail. James 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. And again, as I read these, past, these verses, don't just listen to what I'm reading, but get a sense of what's going on in the lives of the people that James is writing to. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, and you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with this world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives more grace? That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then this is the real heart of this passage that James is writing that I want us to think about today. What we're going to read next is James' Ten Commandments, Ten Imperatives, Ten Statements that will help us to understand why it's important to be humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So as I've said, 10 imperatives. 1965 was a year when the song, a very famous song came out. The song was, What the World Needs Now is... Well done. Do you know who wrote that song? Do you know who sung it? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) There we go. In case you're ever in a music quiz, then you'll know the answer. Bert Bacharach in 1965, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. And it was actually originally a lady called Jackie DeShannon, but then Dionne Warwick made it famous. I think if that song was written today, we still need love, don't get me wrong. I think what the world needs now is humility, sweet humility. Everywhere we look, my friends, whether it's economic hardship, where the rich are trampling on the poor, whether it's wars, James has been talking about fights and wars and quarrels, whether it's our very planet, at the heart of these problems is pride over humility, where the poor are trampled upon, where those who, where, where the dictators oppress those and take their land from them that they want where well, we think that this planet is eternal and will be here forever, no matter what we do to it. Pride and humility are the two options for all of us. And we have leaders, a couple of them there, Elon Musk, and I don't know who the other guy is, but are reminders that there are people who are very, very proud and affluent in, in, in this world. In his address, next slide please, uh, last Christmas, this past Christmas, Pope Francis said this, humility Is the only path that leads to God. Humility is the only path that leads to God. Pope Francis took his name from another great saint, Francis of Assisi, and Francis of Assisi um, said these words, what sublime humility, he said, that the Lord of the universe, the divine Son of God, should stoop as to reveal himself for our salvation. Behold, brothers, the humble way of God. Therefore, do not present yourselves to be anything in and of yourselves, so that you might be entirely acceptable to the one who gives himself entirely to you. And Francis got that, and Pope Francis gets that. Maybe those are a bit older quotations for you. I hope you've all read the following book. I hope you've seen the animated version of it by Charlie Maxey, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. I love this book, absolutely love it. And on one page of that book, Charlie Maxey does a picture of all four um, characters, and the little boy's holding up the mole, and the mole says, "'I am so small,' says the mole." Yes, replied the boy, but you can make a huge difference. And if you've read the book or watched it, you know the mole is a key character. The little mole changes the boy's perspective on life. And that's what I want us, my friends, to see this morning. So let's go to verse 7 again. And let's look at these 10 imperatives. Now, I want you to realize these are not suggestions. James is not suggesting that the, the we consider these things, these are commandments. These are imperatives. James is saying, it is essential that you as brothers and sisters, as god 's people, living in this world, that you hear these things, that you take these things on board, that you listen to them and you let God work these out in your life. This world needs humble people. This world needs to be full of more humble people. And James is saying, as God's people, it starts with you and it starts with me. So James, 10 commandments for a better way for our life and for our world. Number one, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Now, I need to share something a wee bit technical with you this morning. Trust me, I'm not doing this to show off, um, but this is important. These uh, imperatives, most of them are in what's called the active voice. They're things that you do. But a couple of them are passives. And the first one is passive. What that means is this is not something you do, this is something that is done to you. So when James says submit yourselves, what he's literally saying is allow yourself to be submitted under God place yourself in a, in a position under God and let God rule and guide and control your life. It's passive You don't submit yourself. God is the one. Once you place yourself in that, then God starts to work in you and say, now I've got you in the right place. Not because God wants to hold us down. James is going to say God wants to raise and lift us up. But it starts when we put ourselves in that place where we say, I am here to serve you. I am here to follow you. I am here to know you. I am here to love you. The world does not revolve around Don Palmer anymore. <laughs> Never did. So passive, place yourself in that, and that's the starting point for submission. It, 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 it literally means to, to put yourself in a certain place, to place yourself, to set yourself in a place under God's. Then James gives some other, couple of examples. So the next two, please, put the next two up. Once we start at that point, then that really is the starting point. It's the starting point of coming, becoming a Christian. The starting point of becoming a Christian is where we realize who God is, what Jesus has done for us, that He is Lord, that He is our Savior, and we place ourselves under Him, and we submit to Him, and we receive him and his salvation. Then James says two things we need to do, and these are active, very active. You need to resist the devil, and you need to draw near to God. Resist the devil and draw near to God. Why does he say that? Well, I think it should be pretty obvious. Okay, where do these fights and quarrels come from? Where does this pride come from? Yes, it comes from within us, but the Bible makes it very clear from start to finish, there is an evil, an evil person and an evil power and an evil presence in this world that seeks to pull people away from God. There are these two quite obscure passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. That many scholars think give a a description of Satan and where he came from. Some challenge it, but they describe this um, great, beautiful creature that had been made by God, and it's so enamored with itself that it wants to elevate itself to be the place of equal to God. And in both those passages, the prophets say, but you have fallen. Your pride has brought you down. And pride is, is something which Satan loves to see in human beings. He loves to promote it. He loves it when people listen to him rather than resist him and elevates them to think it all is about them. James says that's not how it goes. You resist. And the word that he uses is the word to stand, to stand firm. He says take your stand and don't move. Okay, when he comes against you, stand against him. Um, I thought Steve was going to ask me a little bit more about sports, but when we, actually before we went to Canada, I got into American football in a big way, um, uh, I won't tell you who I follow in that, because I've already embarrassed myself enough by talking about Leeds United, but we, in our family, apart from my wife, we all love American football. Okay, especially my middle son Phil, huge, huge, huge fan. And in American football, one of the things that you will see is called the stiff arm. Okay, so when a guy, a big guy's coming in, you put your arm, probably the same in rugby, you hold him off, you resist him trying to tackle you, and it's a very crucial part of American football to, especially if you're attacking, to stiff arm someone and keep them at a distance. But the other thing about American football is you have to protect your quarterback. You gather around your quarterback and you protect him. You draw close to him. You draw near to him so that nobody can touch him. And that's, in a, in a, in a sense, what James is saying. In this world, we need to stiff arm the devil, we need to resist him and say, no. I don't listen to your ways. I don't go your ways. And James promises here that if we do that, he will flee from us. And the word is the word from which we get fugitive. he We go. He'll fly away from us. He will become a fugitive in our lives. He'll come back again, but we make him a fugitive because he's the one who causes all of this. And as we draw near to God, same word that Jesus said, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. When we draw near to God, we find the opposite. We find God welcomes us, he embraces us, he surrounds us with his love, he speaks to us, he changes us, he saves us, all the things that Satan does not do. That's what James wants for us. That's what God wants for us, to draw near to him. How do you do this, though? This is fine, you might be saying, do but how do I resist the devil? How do I I literally draw near to God? Well, there's no quick fix, there's no easy way to do this. You know, um, we talk about spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of reading the scripture. Okay, and that's the other thing that started changing in my life. When I got into my Bible and started reading it and studying it and then seeing what God was saying to me, my life changed. My life changed radically radically. And, and, and Scripture, as um, the Word of God, James talks about it in chapter 2. It says, don't just listen to it. Do what it says, and it'll change your life. Prayer, gathering together as God's people, okay, living a life where you submit to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit fill you. These are all ways, as well as other spiritual disciplines, where you will actually feel yourself getting closer to God and drawing close to Him. Next two, please. As we draw close to God, James says there's something you need to remember, okay? God is not some big buddy in the sky who will overlook all your faults, doesn't matter, okay? No, God takes sin seriously. God is angry at what sin does in this world. God hates sin and what it does in our lives and in this world. God is a holy God. And James says when we come to God, he says you need to wash your hands and purify your hearts. Now, the Bible scholars here today would say, well, I thought they should be passive because I thought that's what God does to us, but James says they're active. You need to be active in doing this. God has provided the means for you to be cleansed, the means for you to be purified, but you need to go and avail yourself. You need to do it. And maybe a good example I could give you is from the Old Testament. When the priests in the Old Testament drew near to God, they came into either the tabernacle or the temple. And when a priest would walk into the temple right in front of him, the first thing he would see was a huge, Bronze basin full of water. The priest would go to this basin and he would roll up his cloak and he would wash his hands and somehow or other he got his feet in as well and he washed his feet, hands and feet, and then he was ready to go and make a sacrifice to God for behalf of himself and the sins of the people. What was God's teaching in that? When we come to God, we don't, yes, we come as we are, but God doesn't leave us as we are. God wants to cleanse us, and James is thinking here about our actions, the things we do in our lives. Friends, we've just come out of probably the, one of the most serious pandemics that has ever afflicted this world, and I'm sure your church, like our church, and many buildings around, we were encouraged to do what? Wash your hands, right? Everywhere you go, you wash your hands, and don't just do it quickly, but wash it with soap, sanitize you, your hands. Why? Why? because we're contaminated. We can become contaminated, and we spread that contamination on others. And it's the same spiritually. God says, learn how to wash yourself. Learn how to be clean. I can make you clean through my Spirit working in your life, through my Word that can wash you and cleanse you. I can clean you up, and I can purify your hearts. In fact, only God can do that. Only God can do that. But remember, that comes as we submit ourselves to God. And then James gets a wee bit grumpy. (laughs) In the earlier service, Ken was leading, and he said, I feel sorry for Don. He said, Don has got the most challenging passage, certainly in the book of James, maybe in the New Testament to speak on this morning. James says next, he says, verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Is he just this big killjoy? Like is James just having a bad hair day? Does James just like not like have any fun in life? Does he not play any sports? Does he not read any, anything apart from the Bible? Is he just like a, this you know, guy who's so serious he wants to suck all the fun? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Grieve, mourn, wail, oh James, give me a break man. It's tough enough. No, he's not. So what does he mean? If you go to chapter 1 verse 2, I think Andy read this verse last week, James starts his book by saying, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. James wants these people to be happy. He wants them to have joy in their lives. The problem is they're trying to find joy in all the wrong places, and they don't know it, and they can't find it. And so James is saying, you need to stop. You see all this stuff that you're he talks about earlier, some people choose to be friends with this world. He said, if you choose to be a friend of this world, you could say you're not going to get much joy, but you're going to become an enemy of God. True joy, true peace, true, the true lasting things that we need in our lives can only be found in God's true love, not the fake love that's in this world all of these things are only found in a relationship with God. And so James has to get these people and wake them up. That's why he's saying these radical words. He says, you're going in the wrong places. You're looking for maybe the right thing, but in all the wrong places. And he says next, the ninth thing is, you need to be changed. Here's another passive. You don't change yourself, James says you don't wake up one day, put yourself up and say, I'm going to change. Try it. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. You'll fall in your face again. James says again, this passive, let God change you. The word is literally, let God turn you around, convert and turn you, change direction. God is here. He's not there okay, and once you let him turn you around and convert you facing God, okay, then you will find what you need in life to be the kind of person that you want to be and this world needs you to be. And once we get to that, we come to the final one, verse 10. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, literally in the presence of the Lord, okay, humble yourself. And the word means to lower yourself. Don't elevate yourself, lower yourself. Get low and humble yourself. And friends, this is the key, not just for understanding the book of James, this is the key for life. And there may be some here today, and maybe you've been struggling Maybe you've been struggling to find peace in your heart and in your life. Maybe life has hit you hard. And maybe you're struggling to find any joy and any peace in it. Maybe you're really troubled. Well, James is saying, God wants you to come to the place where you submit to him, where you humble yourself before him and start to listen to what he has to say to you. What, what his word is saying to you. I want to finish this morning just by leaving three examples before I hand back to the, the worship team. Um, number one, look at, oh, you can't quite see his haircut. That is a haircut to die for. I remember my hair used to look like that. Do you remember, Kirsten, when you fell in love with me when I had a haircut like that? Lost it all now. Yeah, it's all gone. Uh, I've heard this is coming back in again. I've heard that 2023, this is the latest style of hair for men. So guys, start working on it, okay? Um, Who is this lovely, attractive, stunning man? This is Nicholas Copernicus. He lived about 500 years ago. He lived in Poland. He was a mathematician and an astronomer training to be a priest. He never became a priest, but he was a man who loved God. And Nicholas Copernicus had a problem. In his day, everybody in the world, everybody in the world and in the church believed that the earth was at the center of the universe, and they'd believed it for thousands of years. Nicholas did not believe that, and he changed the whole way we think about the universe, and he did it without a telescope. Telescopes weren't even invented. And so as Nicholas Copernicus, with his lovely hairstyle, went out for a walk and looked up at the night sky and looked at the sun, he realized things are not as they're supposed to be. We are not at the center of this universe. The sun is at the center of the universe, and we are revolving around it. It doesn't revolve around us. Everybody disagreed. Well, most people disagreed. The church disagreed with him. Not just the Catholic church, but the reformers. Martin Luther thought he was a dangerous man and warned people against reading his writings, as did Philip Melanchthon. So everybody disagreed with him. Why? Because he was challenging how everybody thought. And they were all wrong, apart from Nicholas Copernicus. He was right. He was absolutely right. And today we know he was right. Right? (laughs) But there's a deeper thing going on here. Nicholas Copernicus believed in another son, the Son of God, and many times in his writings references his faith in God and Jesus. And Nicholas is saying, you are not at the center of this world. This world does not revolve around humans. Yes, we are the the greatest of God's created beings, but the world does not revolve around us. The world does not revolve around the church, and that's why they didn't like what he said either. The world revolves around the Son of God. Paul says to the Colossians that by Jesus all things were created and came into being and exist in Him. The Son, S-U-N, and the Son is at the center of this universe, not us. Secondly, James. There he is. That's a picture of James. James was the brother of Jesus. Grew up in the same family, the oldest son of Joseph and Mary after Jesus. Catholic Church believed that Joseph had other children, to another wife, other woman, but we're not getting into that today. He grew up in the same family as Jesus. James could have said, I am James, the brother of Jesus. I grew up with Jesus watched him play, worked in a carpenter shop, but he doesn't say that. Church fathers teach us that James went on to become the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He could have said, I am James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but he doesn't. What does he call himself? Verse 1, chapter 1, James, NIV kind of sanitizes this a little bit. He was not just a servant of God. He said, I am a slave of God." and of Jesus Christ, the Lord. James knew humility. James knew that he was, had to lower himself, and he became, James, the slave of Jesus. And finally, the greatest example of all, and oh does the church today need to rediscover what it is to follow a crucified king. Oh, we follow Jesus. Yes, we follow Jesus, but often it's triumphalist. Often, it's a Jesus who cares for us, and it's all about us, and it's a Jesus who gave himself for us. Paul says in his famous hymn in the Philippians, these words, who, being very God, took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And my friends, that's who we follow. That's who we follow. No politician, no other religious leader in this world, no other great example or hero, we follow a crucified king who laid aside all of his majesty and became nothing, Philippine says, and gave himself up for us. And this world needs humble people. Lord, as we draw this to a close this morning, we just come to you. I encourage you all just to pause as I pray and draw this to a close the worship team comes back. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we elevate ourselves, when we elevate our opinions, when we elevate our theologies, our points of view, our positions, even within the church. Lord, we are not immune from this. And churches can be churches where a lot of pride takes place. There's not a lot of humility. So Jesus, we place ourselves before you today. We choose to submit ourselves at the start of another year to you. You are Lord, you are King, we are not. And this day and this week and this year, I pray that you will help all of us to draw, what this means to draw close to you, to learn from your humility, Jesus, to learn from your way and to become Christians, Christ's ones, followers of Jesus in this world, in our workplace, in the schools, in our homes, with our friends, on the street, in the playground, wherever we are, help us to be true Christ followers who walk the way of humility. In Jesus' name, amen.